So Money Episode 673, Sheila Bear, former FDIC chair. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. We're learning from history today, everybody. Welcome to the show, January 3rd, 2018. I am your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Sheila Bear is our very special guest today, former FDIC chair, named Forbes' second most powerful woman in the world at one point. Her agency steered us through the financial crisis of 2008, if you recall. If you read any headlines, any stories during that time frame, you probably came across Sheila Bear's name. She received numerous awards and recognition for her work. She's had a distinguished career in government academia, as well as financial roles. Her work has been published in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and countless other places. Sheila and I catch up. You know, we were in touch during the crisis. I often would call her desk to learn about what was going on and get some updates, fact check, do some reporting. She was always available for my questions. And so I jumped at the opportunity to interview her as we embark on a new year. What has history taught her as she looks to where the markets are headed, how the economy is doing? Could we see a recurrence of the calamities of 2008 and 2009? Sheila's newest obsession is retirement, and she has partnered with robo-advisor Bloom with three O's. It's a robo-advisor for your 401k. How does it work? How is it special? She gives us the details and also her financial stories, you know, how she was raised as a middle-class child, the daughter of hardworking parents, how she is raising her own children from a financial standpoint, her money mindset, and so much more. Here is the lovely Sheila Bear. Sheila Bear, welcome to So Money. It's been a while. It has been, Farnoosh. It's nice to hear your voice. It's so nice to hear your voice and to be on the other side of things. The last time I think we connected was during the financial crisis, 2008, 2009. What a time. And of course, you were at the helm of the FDIC for five years during that those crazy, crazy years. Are you glad to be on the other side of things? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am. I, you know, I just... Uh, it was a great experience, a challenging experience. I love the FDIC, but uh, it's it's nice to have a more control over my schedule, more time with my family. Uh, so yeah, I, I've, it's my life is good right now. Well, that's good to hear. And I know you have a lot of exciting projects underway. We want to get to talking about Bloom, which is a robo-advisor for 401ks. Really uh, uh, an interesting concept there. I know uh, robo advisories are are all the rage right now, but to marry that with four hundred one k management is a new concept. But you know, Sheila, I I can't help but go back down memory lane a little bit with you because it was such a tumultuous time the the, the financial recession. And, and to your credit, you are really credited for being. Um, a straight shooter during that time and really holding banks accountable more than I think they wanted to be held accountable. You were quoted in the Times as saying, yeah, you know what, Bear Stearns should have been should have been allowed to fail. How how did you feel your role 
was perceived and taken during that time? I mean, do you feel like you were able to make a difference? By the way, you called it, you know, you really sense that there was this tsunami approaching. Do you feel like you as a female too, you know, in a, in a very big, prominent role, felt like you were respected and that your opinions counted? Right. Well, that's a good question, especially now with everything that's been going on now. And we really are having a a cultural awakening about some of the uh, attitudes towards women that have really uh, made life uncomfortable for a lot of us and, and impeded our progress in many ways. So, you know, I, um, I, I think we made a difference. I think we made a huge difference. I think some audiences were more receptive than others. Uh, some of my fellow regulators uh, were more willing uh, to listen uh, to my perspective and exchange views and try to find a path forward. Others just didn't want to hear it. Uh, but overall, I think we did make a difference, uh, but we had to stay at it. I had to stay at it. Uh, I had to resort sometimes to public advocacy, and I know that didn't make me popular always with some of my fellow regulators, but uh, you know, th- there was a, a huge uh, uh, problem, a public problem here uh, with the uh, foreclosure crisis, the impact it was having on the housing market, which was had created this downward spiral in home prices that was hurting everybody. And so um, I did uh, resort to public advocacy at times and public pressure, but but we got some results. We didn't get everything I wanted for sure, but I do think there's several hundred thousand families who are, are still in their homes because of our efforts. I wish it was you know more in the millions, but we did make an impact, and, and I am proud of that. And uh, you know you can't uh, sometimes you suspect it's gender. Who knows? People just have biases. Sometimes there's just a whole lot of reasons why people don't want to listen to you or want to try to marginalize you. Uh, but uh, we just kept pressing forward and always did our homework and always mustered our arguments. And so I think we did have a, have a good impact on, and it, as I said, helped a lot of, a lot of families. You have really good instincts. As, as I said, you know, you uh, have been credited for almost seeing the, the handwriting on the wall to some extent uh, with regards to the mortgage crisis and the subprime loan debacle. Do you see some a calamity of that scale, that financial calamity of that scale happening again in our lifetime? And if so, where should we be running away from right yeah. now? Well, I, I certainly hope not. Um, I think the large banks are, are more resilient. They have higher capital levels. But now we're um, seeing a trend. Uh, you know, the current administration, I think, and I strongly disagree with this, but I think the current administration feels that Overregulation of banks has held back the economy. The data just don't don't back that up. But uh, so we're seeing a trend towards deregulation now in a way that I think could uh, be quite destabilizing. Um, one, you know, I, and I, I think you know, monetary policy has a role in this as well. Uh, there's just there's just too much investment money chasing too few opportunities for meaningful investment. And so you get uh, you get asset bubbles, you get inflated valuations and everything from, you know, stocks and bonds to uh, to currency to Bitcoin. So, um, you know, I, I think that is something uh, that that hunt for yield was a dynamic we saw prior to the crisis. We're certainly seeing it again. One thing that makes me a little uh, less uh, fearful about what the consequences could be when those bubbles start popping is is that uh, most of this is concentrated in financial assets that are owned by wealthier people. So the bad news is the recovery has been tilted towards the wealthy because the main benefits have been to uh, increase uh, 
valuations of, of stocks and bonds, and those are mostly owned, uh, not exclusively, but predominantly owned by wealthier people. But if those markets turn, those wealthier families can better absorb um, the, 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 the cycle and the, and the temporary loss. Whereas with the housing crisis, this helped low, you know, low and middle, low income families, their house was all they had. And it really hit them. It hit consumer spending hard. So the recessionary impact, hopefully, in the next downturn won't be as severe. But all bets could be off. If, uh, if we regulate the banks, we let them take a lot of leverage on again. You know, when the, when the next downturn comes, the losses, everybody has losses in a downturn. Uh, you get uh, increases in loan defaults. And if they don't have enough capital to absorb those losses, they're going to get in trouble again. And they're going to they're hurt the economy, not help it. So now it's absolutely the wrong time to be deregulating. But I'm not sure that's the prevailing view in Washington right now. So much potentially to change in the next year. In this current year, 2018, you know, with tax codes. And I read somewhere, too, that there was at one point a thought about reducing your 401k contribution limit. And I'm like, come on, we're already not retiring with enough money in the bank. Which brings us to your newest obsession, Sheila, which is Bloom with three O's, bloom.com. As I understand it, it's a website, a platform, financial advisory automated that uh, allows you to make your 401k more efficient, managed to your benefit so that you're actually maybe reducing fees, invested properly. I think a big problem is we open up these 401ks at work and then we don't know what to do with them. Tell us a little about Bloom and why you're focusing a lot of your energy now on the retirement question. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, technology generally has a uh, huge uh, potential to uh, lower, uh, to improve uh, the cost and financial and services that are provided uh, to, to middle-income families. And this is, uh, it's really particularly helpful for young people just starting off with their 401ks or middle income families that, that have, you know, started building their 401k balance, but don't have a huge amount. I mean, the big firms for the most part in the past have been interested in, you know, the, the wealthier, uh, retirees and not so much with the, those, uh, mid-level um, uh, retirement savings accounts. So Bloom really is a very cost-effective way to give them some professional advice. I use it for my four. They use it for both 403Bs as well as 401Ks. Uh, it's $10 a month. And basically what they'll do is make sure that your asset allocation, your distribution of you know large and small and mid-cap stocks and, and bonds uh, is appropriately uh, balanced uh, given what your uh, horizon is in terms of when you want to, you know, as they say, smash your alarm clock and starts pulling money out of your retirement account. So they do that for you. They make sure your asset uh, allocation is correct uh, given your time horizon. But they also go in there and make sure you're in the lowest fee fund, which in itself can can, can save you a lot of money because there's a big difference in the fees, even with the passive funds, the index funds, which tend to be lower cost. There can be a big difference in in uh, the fees that are charged. So those are two very simple things that they do, and they just do it automatically for you. And uh, you know, over time, they don't try to pick, try try to big big performing funds. They just try to pick the the ones the, the efficient funds because I think you know performance is very very past you know past performance is never a guarantee of future results. But what they do do is is, is a time honored way of improving your returns by just consistently rebalancing. Because what happens over time. The uh, the the assets that you have, the investments that you have that are increasing in value, you sell a bit of those to rebalance, 
which is a good time to sell. And then you buy the ones that have not been performing so well, which is a good time to buy. And over time, uh, you can really uh, improve your returns. And it takes the emotion out of it, too. So a lot of people are tempted to, to buy and sell exactly the wrong time, right? So when the market goes down, they want to sell, but they get scared. Uh, and uh, and that's absolutely the wrong time. Uh, so the, when the market's so lofty, they want to buy, or they want to. They think that's the right time to buy. It's not. It's just the reverse. So this this takes the emotion out of it. Just gives you a standardized, automated way of making sure you're you're appropriately balanced and in, and you're in the lowest cost funds. So was I naive to think that your four hundred one k manager, the plan provider, was a resource <laughs> to be able to basically leverage their their financial advisors? Well, I, you know, I, I would leave that to your listeners uh, as you know how much help they get from their uh, their four hundred one k manager. Uh, you know, I think some uh, employers are better than others in terms of arranging those kinds of uh, services. Um, that, that sometimes though, that the, uh, the manager may also have an interest in the, the fund choices that are being offered. So that's another thing I like about Bloom. They're completely independent. They have no affiliation with anybody who offers a fund. Uh, they have, you know, they're completely neutral. They don't have any financial interest in where you invest. They just want to get you in the lowest cost. So, yeah, I mean, I don't say, you know, absolutely. Those other services can be good. Uh, if people use them, if they're available, uh, but then that, that's, that involves picking up the phone and talking and asking questions and maybe getting, you know, getting a call back or not getting a call back, getting into an automated system. It just, it varies. Um, so I think, you know, this is just an extra tool that, that people, uh, should be aware of it for some, it may be right for some, it may not be right but for those who kind of want to set it and forget it. Uh, but also make sure that their asset allocation stays appropriate to where they are their stage in life. I think this is a, this is a very good tool. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting. I actually also love the video that they made the founders. I don't know if those were actors or the real founders, but they were, the video is quite entertaining. I suggest everybody go to bloom. That's three O's.com. So Sheila, it's the new year. What's your financial resolution? Do you make them for yourself and for your family every year? Do you have goals you want to achieve? Yes, uh, we do. Uh, and they're typically, um, you know, around health and, uh, and, uh, doing, uh, charitable things. I think, um, we have, uh, in terms of money, I'm, I'm proud to say my whole family, we're, we're, we're good savers. <laughs> we're all good savers. Uh, both of my kids, we kind of have a takeout 10 rule in our house. So we always give the kids extra amounts out of their allowance, just that automatically goes into a savings account. And so I think those, uh, those, kinds of skills have uh, been uh, learned well by our, our, uh, our kids, and I'm very proud of them. They both have got uh, good uh, savings uh, cushions built already at a very uh, young stage in life. Um, but we have a charitable interest, too. You know, my, my daughter is uh, from China. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, we've stayed involved uh, with her orphanage. We adopted her when she was about one and uh, have helped raise money since then to build uh, a couple of playgrounds at that orphanage. Uh, most of the children of that orphanage now are um, disabled, and so we raised some funds to build some, some dis- accessible uh, playgrounds, and we're actually starting a, a new project now in a different, uh, different district uh, in China because uh, we were just so just happy and pleased with this facility in Hinyan, Hunan. So that's going to be a big priority for us in 2018. And all just, you know, just being kind to others and each other and staying healthy, not eating too much, exercising a lot. Those are kind of basic. Yeah. Health as well, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> 
I believe that you you are a family of savers as someone who has uh, worked uh, as the head of the FDIC and uh, as a regulator. What gives you your discipline, Sheila? I, I know that your background is in your parents were both very hardworking. You've described your back, your economic background as upper middle class. What was it about your upbringing, perhaps, that gave you this very conservative and measured take on money in your personal and also, I think, in the way that you, you know, you conduct business at the time when you were running the FDIC, you were very, very, some would say conservative, but in a good way because, <laughs> you know, things were going out of control. Well, you know, I think my uh, my parents were uh, both uh, products of the Depression, and uh, they were very frugal people. They actually never borrowed at all. <laughs> they didn't even borrow to buy a house. They they saved the cash and then bought. Um, so I, I grew up with that kind of mentality, and I think that's, uh, you know, during the Depression, you, you literally both of them were in very uh, poverty-stricken families, and literally they some days they didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. So that, that has a, a big psychological impact which I think they, they passed on in a positive way uh, to me and my sister. So that said, I did have my profligate period. I think uh, when I, after I graduated from college and uh, law school and got my first job, I was so giddy with a paycheck. I got my first credit card and quickly uh, got myself into trouble with that. Then I got another credit card and got myself into trouble with that. So ever since then, uh, I, I tore them all up. And I've only had one credit card since then. I've, I've uh, stuck with a policy, and perhaps that was a good uh, thing to have happen to me early on in my career when I didn't have a family or anybody relying on me financially to learn the hard way about uh, not borrowing more on that. That credit card makes it so easy to not borrowing more than I can pay off at the end of the month. So you went on a bit of a credit bender. You did, yeah. <laughs> and silly things too, clothes and you know whatnot. So uh, wants, not needs, as we say in financial education courses. So uh, I did learn early, and I, you know, it, it saddens me now because I think we have become such a debt-driven economy, uh, and you're seeing it again. Uh, you know, mortgage debt is still below its pre-crisis levels, but pretty much every other area of consumer debt is above where it was uh, pre-crisis. And we were, we had high debt levels then and student debt has really exploded. It just breaks my heart the way we're loading these kids up with debt. It's a huge uh, financial burden for them as they graduate uh, from, uh, from school and and in her life. And, um, you know, I I really wish we could find a better way uh, to finance college education because the student loan debacle has, uh, it's it's bad for taxpayers and it's bad for students and it's bad for the economy because these kids are, making big uh, student loan payments every month instead of, you know, spending on other, you know, uh, goods and services that might help the economy. And they're not saving as much either. So they're not building a retirement nest egg early, which is also important. We have student loan debt. We have just overall debt, you know, credit cards and whatnot. And then you have people not saving enough, not just for today, but for their futures. Cost of living is going up. Wages have been stagnant. I mean, if you are back in the public sector, Sheila, what would be your priority in terms of whipping this economy back into shape? And not just, you know, the economy at large, but but household financial stability. Well, I, I do think we, we need to become less reliant on debt. And, and the way you do that is to generate real, real wage growth. We've had, uh, you know, real wage growth has been pretty moribund for the last several decades. 
And uh, when you get that dynamic, then people borrow to uh, improve their standard of living because their wages aren't, real wages aren't increasing. So there's not been as good of a focus as there should be on, on working families and, you know, improving their, their economic uh, financial situation and their ability to spend and save. And I regret, I thought this, this tax reform bill would be an opportunity to do that, but that, that's clearly not going to be the case. It's like, if anything, we're, we seem to want to penalize uh, people who work, who have a wage income versus other types of income, like investment income or, or business ownership. So um, I, would, I would focus on that. I think the tax code, we need to broaden the base. I think we do need to think about, uh, you know, we're, we're taxing the income of workers. If you, you know, the, the wage uh, payroll taxes are about 30% of the budget now. People don't realize that when they talk about taxes, but that really hits uh, middle and lower income families the most. Um, the, uh, the corporate base is shrinking. Uh, we keep giving, uh, opening up new loopholes for the very wealthy, which means that, you know, you're really hitting, uh, the middle and upper middle income working, uh, cohort of our economy, which is just stupid because they are the, they are the drivers of economic growth. They are the ones that spend money and consume and, and drive our economy. So I think, you know, broadening the base, having subtype of maybe tax on very broad based tax on goods and services with a refundable credit for lower income people to make sure it doesn't hit to the low income folks would be a better way probably to capture some level of business profits, but in a way that could be very broadly spread out and much easier to collect than trying to tax income. Uh, which, as we've seen, is, is extremely easy to game, especially with multinationals, because they can so easily move the uh, move the move their business operations around. So I'd focus on that. Uh, I would focus on infrastructure spending. I think that I would focus on education. Uh, we've got the worst of both worlds now with our education system, extremely high levels of student debt. You know, student debt has, has doubled over the last 10 years, but the percentage of high school students actually going on to college has remained flat. So I, I don't really know what we're getting for all this debt. We need to find a new way to finance education, and we need to find a new way to hold schools accountable for student outcomes. So the students learn something, they graduate, they find a job. That's why the government is uh, supporting higher education. Those are the areas I would I would be focusing on. Um, and then healthcare, uh, not my level of expertise. It's a, it's a real quagmire, but I will tell you, I think it's a tremendous drag on the economy. You look at, you know, it's what, so like 17, 18% of GDP now, we're the court, we talk about trying to make this a more uh, friendly environment for businesses to do business here. The healthcare costs are, are, are a huge drag and, and uh, additional cost of hiring uh, people in the United States. The corporate tax is about what three or four percent, I think, of GDP. <laughs> so, you know, while we are focusing on getting healthcare costs down and having a more rational system uh, that way, it just doesn't seem to be part of the debate. We get into this uh, these power politics about Obamacare. Uh, but nobody really talks about getting the cost of health care down uh, because we spend far more than any other country and, and our results are, are not as good as other, most other developed countries. Right. That to me seems like that should be the number one focus, because you, you, if you don't have healthy individuals walking you know, around being able to work and contribute and then to be able to afford healthcare have access to it, you've got nothing. Yeah, well, that's right. And it's, and it's, it's costly for, it, it erodes wages too. So as, as, as employers have to spend more and more on health insurance premiums, that puts pressure on the amount of wages they can pay. And, uh, and it's, uh, you're right. I mean, and, uh, it is a huge economic drag as well. You know, medical problems, conditions, and frequently they go hand in hand, especially in a recession 
financial distress will create health problems. And then typically people lose their jobs in recessions and then they weren't in, uh, prone to get sick. Uh, it's a vicious cycle. Uh, so those are really, I think, issues that are core to the vast majority of Americans. And I, I uh, you know, it saddens me that we're not really tackling them perhaps as effectively as we could. So if we could take a piece of that, which I you know, I want to talk maybe more on retirement, since that is your um, area of focus right now. A lot of us are arriving at retirement with very little, if anything. And we know that we're living longer, uh, which is good news, but also bad news if you can't support yourself during those ad- additional years. A lot of us want to take this new year as an opportunity to maybe reassess our savings plan and what would be your recommendation for listeners? Like, I mean, yes, you can get your 401k managed more efficiently, but how do you actually produce the money to save yeah. more? Well, uh, it, it takes discipline. It really does. I mean, I think always automatic savings is always better uh, than kind of, you know, making ad hoc decisions about whether you're going to save this month or not. So if you have a, uh, certainly people who uh, have employers who offer 401ks or 403bs, if it's an education institution uh, and they have a match, you know, it, it at least uh, exercise, you know, make contributions up to that match is crazy to, to leave that money on the table. So I say that would be number one. Number two, if you don't have an employer plan, then set up your own automatic savings program. Uh, you know, you can most uh, banks uh, for for minimal cost, hopefully zero cost. We'll do automatic transfers into savings accounts and, you know, let that money accumulate a bit and then put it into an IRA or other uh, investment, tax-protected investment vehicle. So, uh, but I think the important thing is to make it automatic, just, you know, every every month, whether it's 10% out of your paycheck or whatever it is you can afford, take it out and put it someplace where you're not going to get at it. Um, that really is uh, the, the key to uh, accumulating money over time. And if you do it that way, you will be surprised yourself how quickly it grows. What's something you love to splurge on, Sheila? Is there something that you like to still treat yourself to oh, and yeah. money may not no, be the option? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, trips, probably travel. I love traveling uh, with my family. Uh, my kids are both big travelers. So we, uh, and it, new travel can be expensive. And we, you know, we try to always, uh, uh, we're in frequent fire programs and, uh, and, uh, and uh, hotel programs as well. So we try to utilize all of those cost-saving uh, measures. But yeah, we do love to travel. It's a lot of fun. It's great family time, but uh, it, it's a bit of an indulgence. It's, it's definitely a want, not a need, but it certainly uh, is something we find very rewarding and brings us closer together as a family. What is one thing that you spend your money on that allows you to make for an easier life, a better life? Hmm. Well, at Bloom does. <laughs> Get it back to the uh, bloom. I mean, I think but that's an example of the kind of things. The more you can find a low cost way, people with other expertise to kind of uh, help you manage areas that need to be uh, watched, but you don't always have time to do. I think that that is a good example. I don't I realized I didn't do as good as a job as I should have in terms of checking my account and, and doing the research on fees and making sure I didn't, you know, as the stock market goes up, I didn't get overexposed. So hiring an expert to do that. And I am not, I hasten to add uh, in all this, I am not an investment advisor. I certainly know a lot about finance and financial education, but I don't advise people on their investments. But uh, I can just speak to what I do as a consumer. Uh, But I think it is a good example of a lot of us just don't have time uh, to deal with the 
deal with this. And unfortunately, the fees are such that it, it's, it can be time consuming to even find what the fees are to dig into this prospectus and find the fees. So that's the kind of thing, whether it's Bloom or someone else, uh, finding a service, an expert that can do that for you at a very low cost, I think is good. Um, and uh, and un, un more mundane uh, answer, uh, responses to your question, cleaning ladies. <laughs> I have the most wonderful cleaning uh World. There we go. And yes, I uh, I figured out a long time ago. It's not something I enjoy doing. Not something I'm very good at doing. So I have a wonderful woman who helps me keep house, and that is boy, is that money well spent. Um, so yeah, there there are things like that. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, for the most part, we do a lot of things ourselves for ourselves too. I think you know you you can get a little you can go a little too far in in pampering yourself and. And uh, whether it's weeding your own garden or, you know, uh, doing your own dishes or whatever, uh, th- those are good things to, to stay in touch with uh, those day-to-day activities that keeps you, keeps you on even plane. And I also think it keeps you away from online shopping <laughs> when you're doing your own yes. dishes. Oh, my goodness gracious. And I tell you, you know, we are, we are, we're uh, Amazon Prime users. And it's just, I, I tell you, Amazon just makes it far too easy to spend money, uh, very smartly so, but it's... Uh, yeah, that the the, uh, the range of, of things that you can access now online is uh, is truly amazing. But we try to, especially books, we try to go to bookstores and, and retailers too, because I just think that's an important part of our economy we like to support. So we make sure we hit the streets and, and, and visit shops frequently as well. I love it. Sheila Bear, thank you so much. It's been really great spending some time with you and catching up. And thank you for all the work that you have done for our country, that you continue to do for us. Um, we'll be sure to check out Bloom with three O's and wishing you a happy new year. Thank you for news, you too. Thanks so much to Sheila for coming on the show. Her Twitter handle is at Sheila Bear 2013. If you'd like to learn more about the robo advisor for your 401k Bloom, go to Bloom with three O's.com. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Remember, it's very easy to get in touch. Go to somoneypodcast.com, sign up for the newsletter, click on Ask Farnoosh, send me a question there for the Friday episodes. And if you'd like to co-host, let me know there as well. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money. Money.